Not long ago, there were only three television channels, and the cheaply made family man comedy was king. Turning the dial would only give you another glimpse into a suburban nuclear family with a breadwinner husband, a stay-at-home wife, and the occasional talking horse. That is, until 1964, when one show dared to take a glimpse into the lives of terrible monsters that lived next door. The Monsters premiered that September, and, well, America has yet to recover. The Monster Hunter shuns the millions of hours of original shows that are available at the press of a button to take a look back at a 60-year-old comedy about a Frankenstein monster and his grotesque family. He, he reaches down, he just grabs her by the butt and lifts her up. Yep. Yeah. Instead of opening the window... He punches through the window, which, I mean, this is your damn window, man. By the way, he's trying to catch uh, the raven out of the the clock. Oh, is that yeah. what he's doing to feed the cat? Yeah. yeah. I was very disinterested, to be honest. <laughs> the Monster Hunters, available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. You got everything? Yeah, let's hurry up and record this before I forget any more of this movie. Alright, that's fair. Welcome to the Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I'm the dad. I'm Austin Rude, and I'm the son. And I just woke up here. I'm not really sure what's going on. Or are we each other, but our memories are weird? I'm just going off the name I found on this weird. Uh, that's slimy what I go pod. on everything. Yeah. Um. My name. My name's Vacuum Cleaner. My name 3000. is Toyota Avalon. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, Toyota. It really is. Uh. Yeah. We'll get into that. But what do we do on this show, Oz? I, I can't remember. It says here uh, on this little placard that we watch movies placard. and then we talk about it. Our show notes are etched on a on a. <laughs> <laughs> on a decorative placard. It's imagining instructions next to the microphone. It's All the right? um Let me build an image here. That uh the the Voyager um Oh so, yeah. Like, you know <laughs> they the like they, they, they yeah or the the picture of like the man and the woman, you know, like the the anatomically yep. uh, it's just like the the weird placard they put on there the, the like, diagram yes. explaining <laughs> how to play a record and <laughs> Anyway. It is that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we... we Already talk, off the rails. We're, we've uh, already in. destroyed this show and and everything it stands for. Um, but, you know, one more time. Just so that the new people who are diehard fans of Pandora um, coming in here, they know what this show is all about. What do we do here? We watch movies, and we talk about it. And we talk about it. And we're a father and son duo. Oh, well, know, that's right. Just in case that slipped through the cracks. Oh, there. I had totally forgotten, but, um... Yeah, you I'm know. your dad. It's it's about time you knew. <laughs> this show just got to be maybe our weirdest show ever. Um, 
I do have a little bit of feedback that we got from uh, from Terry from the Monster Hunters podcast about our Frankenstein episode. I knew we would get some quotes. Let's hear it. Um, just first of all, when I posted the episode, he said, I'm very excited to listen to this. This movie is definitely top tier in the Universal Monster canon for me. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts. This was before he listened to our thoughts. The moment I read that comment, I was like, I, oh, I was no. like, oh, yeah, we actually found someone. Because that was a big, my big takeaway was... Who or, likes this? My big question is, do people still love the Universal Monsters? And mm-hmm. uh, Terry, with our friends Derek and Keith, they do a show called The Monster Hunters. That's right. Where they review... Every episode of the classic TV show, The Monsters, which is essentially based on the Universal Monsters, but in sitcom form. Yeah. Yes. Um, But, I mean, a parody is done with love. You know, there is a a thing there. But, um, uh, yeah, he did come back and and dropped us an email. uh, Or, not an email, another comment after that said, I really enjoyed your episode. Surprise. after deleting a couple of too hasty emails, I really enjoyed the episode. Surprised by your feelings on it, but was an interesting listen. Totally agree on the brain thing, as well as the ending. I think a lot of these Universal Monster movies have a rushed ending issue. Uh, but I'll be very interested to see if you feel the same on Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, so, uh, Terry, I think, disagreed with us. I think he's a bigger Universal Monsters fan uh, than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, I'd like that he was like, uh, you know, more or less your opinions are, are valid. Uh, yeah. and, and it just, uh, you know, we I, just... I think he also in that shows that like, he understands the flaws of these very sure. old movies and is more understanding of them because he knows and appreciates the history. Well, and I, th- I think there's that, and I think there's the thing of uh, we all have. Uh, a lot of people don't like this term. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, the guilty pleasure movie, the movie that maybe is imperfect, but you like it anyway. Right. Um. It, you. Know, I. Th- I think we. I think we all have some version of that where we go. Yeah, if somebody points out the flaws in this, I can't argue with it, but. For whatever reason, I still like this movie. I accidentally watched an episode of Young Sheldon once, and I didn't hate it. And that's my oh, oh no! Is this confessional? Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm searching for a new co-host. Uh, oh, if anyone on. out there is, I knew I shouldn't admit this. You lured me in. No, look, man. Uh, everybody, uh, everybody catches um, a sitcom they hate. And the sun shines on a dog's ass sometimes, and you'll catch it when there's an actual funny joke. It doesn't mean you like the show. It means yeah. something catches you funny. Maybe Young Sheldon is a great show. I don't know. That kid is also on uh, Big Little Lies on HBO. Yeah. And that show is amazing. Uh, that show is really cool. good. Uh, but, no, I, I think Terry answered the big question I have is... <clears throat> Do modern audiences still actually like the Universal Monster movies, or have the monsters themselves just come forward and we don't have the context of where they come from? And Derry's kind of showing, like, 
no, there's an audience of people who really enjoy these movies. Whether we grew up, you know, I'm sure some people were introduced to them at a younger age. Some people have gone back like we're doing and, and have watched them. Uh, like I've watched Dracula. I've watched uh, The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. I've seen The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, most of these I have gone and kind of looked at just in the interest of like wanting some film history and going like, these are historically important. I should watch them. Yeah. You let know, me understand where all this stuff and comes from. Some of them are better than others. Uh, some of them really like Frankenstein. I, I look at and I go, I don't get why this movie has endured uh, other than like the imagery of it. But apparently like there is still a big fan base for this out here. I think that's cool though. So uh, thanks a lot, Terry, for, for reaching out to us and for commenting and letting us know, like, yeah, like, there's legit fans of the Universal Monsters, the original movie still out there, and whether this movie was for us or not, I think that's cool. You know, I I think there's a lot of old movies, especially, that just gel with people for one reason or another. I like film noir. Mm-hmm. I've seen, again, I'm not going to claim that I'm a great film historian, but I've seen a couple silent movies that I think are really cool. I think Nosferatu is a really cool movie. Um, but there are people who would never watch a, they couldn't get down with a silent movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's not a knock on those people. It's just sort of like old movies are so hit and miss with so many people. I think I, it really depends on like who you Um, are and what, what kind of interests you? Yeah, I think so. So uh, I, I really appreciate Terry reaching out and and letting us know. And Derek and Keith, you know, made like some comments too. We had kind of some laughs about, you, you know, just the overall like. I I think I think they were laughing at our reactions to it, um, which is great because I like to laugh at uh, there, especially Derek's reaction to. The monsters. The monsters. Like, uh, if you listen to their show, Derek is always just sort of like very bothered with having to watch <laughs> the, the monsters because it is such dated comedy and it's a little nonsensical and kind of dumb. But it, like, also, it's it's really fun to just hear his reactions to it. It's very good. That is funny that he's just sitting through it. He's just sort of like, yeah. It's even in, uh, it's even in some of the promos uh, that the promo I play on here. There's a clip of Derek going, "I was very disinterested by this point, if I'm being honest." <laughs> and um, it's it's it makes me laugh every time. But you know, uh, props <laughs> to us and our fans for having a a disagreement on Twitter. That was played out respectfully. Yes, absolutely. We have the best listeners and we have the best people in our podcasting uh, circle. You know, that that we can have these discussions and it's not like, well, you're an idiot and you're you're ruining the thing. You're taking, you're a thief of joy. Like, that's the thing I see a lot is, is my opinion is valid. And yours is sucking all the joy out of the room. And it's like, oh, like, or we could just have differing opinions and talk about it. So Yeah, and uh, we, I, I think it's clear that we didn't mean to take away any joy no, from people who enjoy Frankenstein. For, for you and I, we just uh, did not get into that movie. And this is where we voice our opinions about whether we like a movie or whether we watched Pandorum this week. 
That's interesting. Uh, no, we're gonna have. Uh, uh, I'm. I'm, ha- I'm half joking, but I'm also kind of half not joking too. But okay. let's let's get into this. This week we watched the 2009 sci-fi horror movie Pandorum. This movie follows two crew members of a deep space mission who wake from hibernation to find that one of them woke the other one up because they were in love with them. Oh wait, uh, passengers <laughs> crossover. Um, uh, woke from hibernation to find themselves alone, save for space monsters who are hunting them. This movie stars Ben Foster, Dennis Quaid, Cam Gigande, Anja Trawa, and Norman Reedus has a small role in this. You know him as Daryl from That's The right. Walking Dead. I don't know where his uh, crossbow is in this. But, yeah, uh... yeah, or his filthy motorcycle vest. This movie was directed by Christian Albert and written by he and Travis Malloy. The production company seems kind of small. It's like a this is almost like an independent film. You All know right. what I mean? Yeah. This feels almost like an asylum movie. Like they have a couple of sets they keep reusing, and uh, they keep everything dark so you can't see. But they did manage to get. Some big names in here. Dennis Quaid is a pretty big get. And at this time, I think Ben Foster was really like on his way up. Or maybe this was sort of the height of Ben Foster. I would have to uh, look at his filmography at the time. But but either way, that's like... He had done like 310 that... to Yuma. Um, mm-hmm. I think he had done a, uh, let's see, 30 Days of Night. Uh, he was in The Messenger around this time, which was a... Pretty big movie for HBO, I think. He was the bad guy in The Mechanic, the the remake of the uh, Charles Bronson movie. But him and Jason mm-hmm. Statham, it was like they were the kind of it guys at the time were doing the all these kinds of things. Alpha Dog. Wow, I forgot he was in Alpha Dog. Uh, great movie. So these they've got these big and upcoming names. And upcoming names. You know, Dennis Quaid was not what he had been, but still, like, respectable actor, you know. Uh, I I like Dennis Quaid. I think he does some really great work. And, uh, you know, he's not necessarily doing it here, but they got Dennis Quaid for their movie. He doesn't do much in this. He kind of... He has a couple of scenes, but it's not... It's not much, right? He's an interesting character. Uh, I guess. Yeah. He's, uh... The... The older guy, The older guy, right? yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dennis Quaid, sure. if if you don't know, uh, if you are on the younger side, like my You're co-host. Uh, Dennis Quaid, let's see what he is best known for. Um, we well, have Inner Space. He's in The Right Stuff. Uh, the, the movie about the Mercury program. Uh, he was in uh, the Jerry Lee Lewis biopic back in the 80s called great balls of fire he's in a movie called inner space uh let's see oh in good company is actually a really good movie with scarlett johansson and topher grace uh he was in the alamo uh cold creek manor i forgot he was in that yeah uh he was in traffic by uh soderbergh steven soderbergh you ever see traffic no, but uh, I've Topher seen, Grace is in that as we've well. We've seen some Soderbergh stuff. Yeah, we've watched some Soderbergh stuff on here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Dennis Quaid, really big name once upon a time. Still a 
big name, and I think really big for this movie. I think I recognize him from cropping up in like random small roles, but yeah. like I don't think I've seen any of his big. Sure, kind all of all of his other stuff, stuff is going to be like way older, like his his big starring yeah uh, stuff. But um, yeah, I had seen this movie when it first came out, and I remember liking it as a horror movie, uh, and and thinking it was really tense. Um, but I didn't remember a lot about it, and I watched it this time, and I was, I think it still had some good stuff to it, but I was overall less impressed with it. Uh, what are your general thoughts? I, I didn't love it, but I did like it. Like, it got better as it went, uh, I think. I... Basically, it started out... This is a really ugly movie. It really is. It is so hard to see anything in these dark shots. I think it's shot terribly. I think think the lighting's bad, and the editing of the light grade is bad. Because you can't tell... Yeah, there's no color correction done on it. It's just made to look drab. There's, like, movies where they're, like, disorienting you. And then there's this movie... Which I think is trying to do that, but also is unintentionally disorienting in the wrong way. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know where I land on the disorienting part because part of me thinks it is like an artistic choice. Let's keep you disoriented. Let's keep you claustrophobic. Let's keep you feeling the way these characters are feeling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But but there are some like scenes where like He's being attacked by the monster and it drags something away, but you can't... You don't know like, what it is. It's so vague as to what just happened. And it seems like those shots were meant to be clear. Or, like, meant to indicate. Well, I don't know. The The purpose is unclear. Yeah. And it's left muddled. He clarifies it in talking later. He dragged away so-and-so. I don't remember what it was. I don't know. And I can't remember what that shot looked like, whether that was, uh, they were just like, it doesn't matter if you see it or not, he'll say the line, or whether they viewed a cut of it and they go, that's really unclear, we need to ADR a line in here. Right, let's get this in the dialogue. And, and, And just have him say what it was, because so much of this is in the dark, it's in these little claustrophobic corners and in the way of making you feel like uh the way these characters are feeling i think that's very successful but we should also be able to experience what they are experiencing in the in the present we should be able to see what they're seeing yeah and in that way i think through the first half of this movie it fails miserably like i i did not see half of what was going on this reminds me of why i stopped watching uh joss whedon shows uh <laughs> when he made angel like the, the, yeah, buffy, the buffy spin-off spin-off. um like after most of a season i was like dude they just don't have any lights on this set it was just so dark well they forgot to pay the bill it was it was supposed to be like this dark moody piece but you just couldn't see anything and i was like yeah I'm I'm out. I'm out. I'm out of this. That, Whatever this thing is, it's 
failing terribly. That's my one criticism of Peter Capaldi's era of Doctor Who is he's meant to be this brooding kind of character, but like they just turned all the light. They darkened it too on. much. I'm like, you know, well, it's really funny because I was watching uh, the original Halloween last night and thinking about like so much of this is shot at night. And in 1978, John Carpenter, I think, had made one movie. Maybe two. And shooting at night is hard. And he shot at night and made everything clear. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he shot darkened sets, uh, 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 a shot that is in the dark, in a dark house at night. The set is never as dark as what comes across. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, you really have to know, like, how to do it. And I'm like, this guy who is kind of barely out of film school on his first like big feature knew how to do this. And so, and I'm, so I'm watching this and I'm like, you know, from maybe it's wrong to like pull out the exception that proves the rule, the, the student filmmaker who made a, a giant success, you know, but like, it is just sort of like, if this kid can figure it out, then anytime I'm watching a movie that is released by a major distributor, mm -hmm. Like, there's no excuse for having something so dark that I can't tell what's going on. We know it's possible, pretty much. Right, like, right. And and it just, uh, I don't know, I found this movie very, very frustrating in that first half for those reasons. I thought, this movie is kind of on, on a technical level, it's not very well made. Like, I don't think it's shot well. I don't think the cinematography is good. I don't think the action is exciting at all. I think there's a couple of good fight scenes. Um, but overall, uh, you don't, some of them you can't even see. Right. And, but the, the whole idea of like the weird filters and weird angles that they're shooting at, it puts the, it, it makes me know exactly when this movie was made. It's like right. one of those movies where you're like, Oh, this is all about like editing and making things look a certain way more than it's about story or plot or, you know what I mean? It's one of those things that's like, it's very much a trend movie. It's, it's, this is encapsulating all the things that like, here's what we're doing with our movie and it's going to look really cool and really gritty and, you know, it's going to look like a music video uh, for some industrial rock band. And it does look very like early 2000s. Yeah. Like, that's just what this movie it, feels like. It looks like. in that era of, of the, the 2000s, you know, uh, of the people who were trying to look cut, cutting edge, but weren't really doing it. You know, weren't really, most of them weren't really telling decent stories. Yeah. You know, and I think this is a decent story. I think there's a, a core of a good story here, but I think they fumble the ball a lot. I I think the the script is much better than what's shown like on the film. Yeah, I don't know. I think if they had kept it simpler, um, the idea of the the monsters on on the uh, spaceship, mm -hmm. the idea of you know, mutations, the idea of, oh, we how long have we been asleep? 
And then the idea of like space madness. They're all very interesting, but I feel like this movie is trying to do too much. And it's putting some weird twists in there where by the, by the time we get to the very end twist, like it's a big reveal. Yeah. It's like, what is all this other stuff of like thinking I'm another person thinking I'm this person, but I'm really this person. Mm -hmm. Oh, I found the Lieutenant's wife. Uh, I remember her and then just sort of letting that go to, you know, and it's like, what, what are we doing here? I didn't even realize that was the Lieutenant's wife. There was something where he said, Oh, this is, uh, this is the Lieutenant's wife. They found like her pod. Yeah. I remember them finding a girl. I I just didn't make the connection. I I don't know what the connection was because I don't know that they ever made it. I, I think maybe that felt like a, a storyline in the script that never got filmed or got edited out, but that part that remained. Stuck in, yeah. Um, there's just so much unnecessary. It feels like, it feels like, uh, seasons two and on of Westworld where they're like, we're going to make sure no one guesses the twist because we're going to throw so much other shit in their path that has nothing to do with it mm-hmm. that, that they'll never get it. And it's like, no, we never will. I never saw the ocean floor thing coming. Because why would you? You put breadcrumbs for everything except that right. in this movie. I Okay, speaking of the twist, though, I did like that. I liked it. I liked it a lot. But I, it came from nowhere. Yeah, I, I think I figured it out when he was... Uh, like, when the young kid showed up and... He's, like, talking to him, and they're talking about the space madness, uh, and yeah. going back and forth. I was like, oh, he's not really there. He's alone. Uh, and then later they revealed that it's the same person. Right. And he's wrestling with himself. But uh, And he wasn't the lieutenant on the bridge. He was the kid on the bridge. Right. Who you know, like, set this whole thing off because they found out. I guess everyone on earth (laughs) died. (laughs) Right. Everyone on earth was dead and they were the last of humanity, which again, on its own, I think is very interesting, Mm -hmm. but not fully explored. Exactly. I I feel like so much of this was, was just a half baked movie. And I think that's kind of a shame because there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm conflicted because I like the parts of the movie. I really, uh, as disorienting as like the filming of the first act kind of is, I did really like the concept of waking up on a ship and you have no idea what's going on. You don't remember your mission. You don't remember. Right. Like it's slowly coming back to them, all these details. I thought that was a really cool way to do it. Well, it, it harkens to the... Like the Alien movies and Prometheus, everything in that world, like when they come out of hibernation, they're very like, they're sick, they're disoriented, they're very groggy. It's not perfect. Right. They're like, yeah, this this would be very hard on your body. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's not quite like um, passengers where they just sort of are like up and around in, in a couple hours. Mm-hmm. But it's... It also played kind of fast and loose with that because it's it's like Ben Foster starts remembering things right away. 
and Dennis Quaid is like taking way longer Take with it forever. Yeah, which I know he He's has Pandora, you know, but you know, Ben Foster all of a sudden remembers how to reset the nuclear reactor. Like, whoa, that's a pretty intense thing to remember when you don't even know your name or what your mission is or anything like that. I mean, that does seem a little bit like muscle memory from, you know, like... I suppose. I don't know. If you've worked and been trained for years in the same environment, you might remember that. That feels more like a character detail. Like when, uh... I forget there's a part, uh... Where the main character says something about the engine and he's like, oh... I don't know how you know that. You must be uh, an engineer or something. Right. Yeah. Like, just like, he knows this thing because that's his specialty. But what if he just happened to know this trivia thing about the engine? He overheard it on Jeopardy. And they're like, well, you must be an engineer. And they're like, oh, man. Promotion. All of a sudden, you have all this responsibility. You don't know what you're doing. Government operation, man. That's how it goes there. Hey, that's NASA. They're trying. What do you think about the DNA of the entire Earth? If we were going to another planet that could support our species, mm-hmm. would we have to take every single form of life from Earth? Uh, no. I, we I wouldn't have to about... take every plant, every animal, every single thing. Not only is that a stupid idea... I think it's so dumb. It's stupid how they showed it, okay? Because we have... First off, if you're moving planets and there's already life there... You only have to take... Us. Really? I mean, I mean yeah. You... We could take dogs. I mean, you could we take... We could do it with dogs, I mean, sure. You wouldn't have to take all dogs, though. No. Um, And you wouldn't... We can leave poodles. I would suppose you could take you would take some of the meat producing animals and a lot of the edible plants just in case there weren't things that were specific to being edible for humans. Even just as a transition, you know. As a transition, as a as a just in case they we don't have a corn equivalent on this planet. Right. We can plant corn here. Bring some trees, you know, some right, some easily producible some, thing. Some plants bamboo. that we know are not hostile to man. Right, but yeah. like the idea that they're no gonna, pandas, they're gonna take over this entire planet. They're just going to make it Earth. Yeah, right. Kill all the the alien species that live there and just like totally colonize it. A, that's super messed up. B, uh, their idea of like having like they have. The real bugs, just in their cage. Like, and they're meant to keep those two alive. Right. For however long. Like, no. We would store their DNA sequence on a computer, which is what we do for, like, already. There's a base in Antarctica uh, where they have a catalog of all of the DNA of pretty much every plant species on Earth in case there's a doomsday event. It's all there. Like, or in case we have, have to send our last baby to another planet where the son of that planet will actually make him more powerful. And then he becomes 
their savior. We all know this to be true. He becomes space Jesus, that's and he right. has the little codex. We've uh, read the prophecy. That's right. Superman issue one. Superman. Uh, <laughs> Whatever happened to the Man of Steel? Yes. That's it, yeah. Um... But yeah, what a dumb way to do it. I, to I, have I Noah's Ark there. Like that that is how they call it. Noah's Ark. Like this is saving the whole of Earth. And you know the thing to point out all the time when people are like Earth is dying, Earth is dying, Earth will never die. Earth will never die, nature will never die. And all of these animals and plant life would once humans are extinct on Earth, all of that will flourish again. Mm-hmm. All of that will be like, yes, it will get back to taking care of itself and balancing itself as an actual ecosystem. It will have evolved. Yeah. Everything won't make it. But like the idea of like, oh yeah, the, the entire earth will die and it won't support life anymore. I don't think that will ever happen. No species is forever. No planet is forever. I mean, earth is just a No, form. we'll crash into the sun. Yeah. Fair. But earth is just a form that like matter has taken for a temporary time and that's the same with like any species well, it just happens animal. to be at the right proximity to the sun yeah like that's the only reason that we have life here and when earth is extinct that energy and matter will go somewhere else and there will be life in other places right and they don't have up. to take all that dna with them they don't no it's silly it is silly but it is it does fit the uh there's a weird, like, biblical, there's, like, biblical elements they try to put into this. Like, they do have the Noah's Ark thing. They do have the, um, he eats grasshoppers. He eats locusts, which is, like, a, that's a Moses thing. Yeah. And, um, like, that just kind of comes in out of nowhere. But, uh, yeah, George is here now. Our third co-star. Uh, speaking of out of nowhere. Uh, George is here. Father but, and yeah. son and son. Like, it's a weird... There's there's a weird thing to it. Uh, Pandorum is a... Or, a, no, Elysium. That's the name of the ship. Is like the... I'm going to get it wrong. It's like a Greek afterlife. It's like a like a Greek purgatory. Uh, yeah. In, in the, the pantheon of gods. Which is like... Oh, hey, these people aren't dead, but they're not alive, and they're trying to figure out where they're going after the death of Earth. There's a lot of odd mythological elements to this story, and again, I think it's cool. I love when people do that, but it just doesn't—it doesn't amount to anything within the story. Like yeah, it's ben, just little clues. Ben Foster's for no character is not Moses. He's not. I mean, he does lead the people there, but he doesn't really lead them there. He just kind of accidentally ejects everybody. You know, yeah. he's not like he's not like a leader. It's not the the Exodus. It's it's a weak it's a, metaphor. It, yes. Did you get any vibes from other stories other than the Bible? Of course. Uh, but uh, any other movies? Movies that you've seen? Any other movies uh, that... Um, well, I got one that we watched for the show, but I wondered if you picked up anything, too. I mean, not really. Like, it's it's got elements of all of these El- different stories. That's what I'm talking about. Like, not, not 
one to one, but like something they took because I got I got some pretty strong uh, I am legend vibes, which is not something we've done for the show. But the idea of you know sneaking through these mindless, crazy, fast moving monsters, um, the monsters were sort of reminiscent of that. And they're also human. They're like, right, they're, like they're mu- mutated humans yeah. and um, and stuff like that. I, and I, I just say, looked it uh, up. I am Legend was like two years before this, and oh, it is like, okay. oh, there's some real like strong vibes there. Some so, inspiration. Yeah. I got uh, Fight Club. I got Fight Club with, too. Yeah, with the reveal that that was kind the, of the idea of really trying to put a twist in there, and also some of the kind of more industrial aesthetics of fight club kind of come through in this too like the spaceship is very uh just dark and twisted looking you know what i mean in the same it's dirty in the same way that like the fight club like the warehouse district and all that shit was and it's Um, uh i also got uh like pandorum i think comes from like pandora's box like the, the story it, of it, like like you know, open that up and opening madness you know it, it is yeah, yeah uh, about the spreading madness but yeah um yeah for sure that's in there um but also fight club with the the reveal that he and the kid are the same the same person right you at know war with each other yes it's it's a very like you could just you just see the we'll be generous and call it influence of of these other things uh, that doesn't quite come together in the cohesive way that I think they wanted it to. Yeah. Um, what else did you have? Um, on that? Yeah, on, on like, just what else you think might influence it. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that Those were the two big ones I had. Uh, not to mention, just, like I said, the, the camera angles and the the weird filters on everything mm-hmm. that were just sort of like of the time. Uh, but also there is a fair amount of <laughs> also putting it squarely in the time it was made. There's a fair amount of parkour being done in, the, oh, yeah. in this. <laughs> um, lots of, lots of jumping around, leaping, a lot of uh, jump and handspring based fighting techniques. Really Matrix-inspired. Um, Matrix-inspired. Uh, let's see. The, the Bond Casino Royale was out at this time, mm-hmm. by the, uh, which opens with a big parkour sequence. There's, I think parkour was just in everything. Like, there was so much. Like, if you were doing a lot of fight choreography in the, the early 2000s, it was parkour. It was not the way people actually fight. Right. This really reminds me of a scene from The Office. Uh, yes. There's some heavy parkour there. Parkour! Parkour! Uh, one thing that really irked me was, for no reason, there is like a three-way parkour fight. Like, for no reason. Uh, just like between the main character, that girl, and like the Asian guy. Right. Uh just like for no reason like her motivation doesn't make any sense she just attacks people like nobody's motivation for anything made it's any so sense convoluted in it, especially it, yeah. in that scene everything though. was just because we need this to happen i think it was supposed to be the oh we don't trust each other and then oh now we do 
So character growth, but like with no actual but no actual uh, anything like that. Those two actors, uh, not Ben Foster, but the other two, the the woman and the Asian guy, I thought they were cool as fighters. I think mm-hmm. I think parkour is kind of silly, but if that's what your whole movie is made of, when all the fighting is made of, it's like okay, that's just in the it's just it's a stylization choice. Yes, and I think it looked cool, and I think they were both uh, good at it, and I think. Those characters were, um, I don't want to say they were needed, but they were a good addition to it in the monster movie sense of what everything that was going on. Yeah, I there's not a whole lot of depth to anything in this. No, uh, but but I I do kind of like them. Uh, I liked the farmer's death, how he like manages to take on this big scary monster, and then he's like, oh, the baby. And, like, he doesn't yeah. actually want to kill it. And... Right. But you knew that was going to bite yes. him in the ass. Yeah. Um, I just have a... Uh, this all comes together at the end when you figure out that uh, they, they've been asleep for, like, a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it was. Around you know. whatever. Um... But it does, it just becomes, like, very odd at some point when you realize, like, oh, these mutants have mutated into an entirely different species and formed their own culture, including, like, a culture of being, like, their own warrior class. Like, they have their own weapons. And their own unique fighting style, and their own, you know what, it, you know what I mean. Like there was something that where you're like, this doesn't happen in two hundred years, or yeah. whatever it was supposed to be, and that it doesn't break the movie because it does kind of come full circle, and you go, okay, in a thousand years, I could see, you know, not the full mutation into a different species, but a a culture can that rise, a culture can rise and fall in a thousand years. Yeah. There's also, when they think it's been eight years in space, and he's found a completely decomposed skeleton, like, that's not an eight-year-old body. Yes, and you're not really, that's, this is my problem with twist endings that aren't, I'm trying to think of how to word this, because they did put work into it. I don't want to say it wasn't earned in that way, but it's sort of like you can't have the big twist ending be something that you're not leaving breadcrumbs for. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this is my problem with the the undersea thing. Is like they have no indication that they were underwater for the entire time. Right. Nothing. There's no build up to it. It's almost like oh, who murdered who murdered uh, uh, the rich old man? And you have everything's pointing to the nine characters who all have motivations. And then they go, wait a minute. It was this character who's not been seen or mentioned and nobody knew existed until they just walked 
in to the scene right now. Dad, you like, just described the plot of How I Met Your Mother. It's... Like, <laughs> from from people I've heard who've seen that show. Is that how but... it ended? With a completely different person than who had been on the show? Well, they have, like, four different people you think might be it. And right. then, in the last season, a new character shows up, and that's the mother. That's it? That's really it. Wow. That's, yeah. Wow. Interesting. Isn't that terrible? It's almost like they didn't know how to end it, and uh, and they just had to make something up right away. That's, that's how that's how this felt as well. Like mm-hmm. it comes out of nowhere. Like at some no... point, you have to have them find a hole where something's leaking. You know, water's leaking in, and they go, "Well, well this is the outer wall. How do you know?" Mm-hmm. At some point, you have to have some indication that they're underwater, and this movie like gives none of that. There is a thing of the time where I think it is like the decomposed skeleton, the advance, the cultural advance of the mutants. It does sort of like, if you're thinking about it, you go, well, it's been more than eight years or the 200 years even that their whole voyage was supposed to take. But also like they're not, none of the characters are talking this out either. Yeah. So you just think it's sloppy writing or something like that. You're not thinking like, oh, this is a twist ending. There's something about the twist endings in this movie that there's too many of them, for one, and none of them really feel earned. Well, because, like, it just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's, it's not... A satisfying twist is one that you could have figured out, but you didn't think of in time. You know? Like... There were clues to it, but you didn't piece them together, and then they tell you, and then it's like, oh my gosh, the whole movie, they were telling me that. Like, and they don't have that. It's like the character motivations. There are no real motivations for anybody. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of like, um, at one point, Ben Foster says something about, "We we need to get to the bridge. We need to contact people on the bridge. And Dennis Quaid goes, you're assuming someone's even on the bridge. We don't know. And then, like, five minutes later, Dennis Quaid is going, well, we got to get to the bridge. And it's like, you, like, nothing happened to make you change your mind from we don't know what's going on on the bridge to get control to, well, we got to get to the bridge so we can tell them what's going. He had completely gone over to the other side. Yeah. With nothing having happened that would make him change his mind. The plot just needed him to want to be motivated for that. And the, that's, the director pulled him aside in a deleted scene. That's this whole like, movie. This whole movie feels like there's a bunch of deleted scenes. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I don't know. This is a sloppy movie. I, we watched it, what, Saturday? Uh-huh. Today's Wednesday. I'm already forgetting big swaths of this movie. And it's, it's that uh, hyperspace pop that's, that we That's what in. I'm saying. As much as they wanted you to feel disoriented, as much as they wanted you to feel claustrophobic, it's like, did they also design this movie to be forgettable so you would know what it's like to have, like, hazy memories? The genius involved <laughs> in that. <laughs> it's so weird. I uh, One thing that I wanted to point out that really irked me was the completely pointless... Uh, like girlfriend subplot where he's like remembering this girl and he's like oh my gosh i gotta find her on the ship yes and then halfway through the movie he just remembers she was never on the ship 
and she's oh she left me before i left and that's why i joined the military in the first place it's such a it's such an odd fragment of a story and it could have been interesting well if it had gone somewhere yeah if it had meant anything it was just weird backstory i guess or was that the wife that he found the wife pod that he found no that wasn't her i i don't know i don't know either oh my head hurts no um it's a it's a really kind of nonsense movie that i don't it's kind of fun there's kind of a fun monster movie element to it the very end when he's like on the catwalk the ladder Climbing over the whole pit of, like, sleeping mutants. Right, yeah. So he can reset the reactor. Really exciting. More of that. Like, that's what I wanted. The chase. Anytime they were chasing them or fighting them. Like, that was the fun. It's not very deep. But it's the fun horror movie aspect of this. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, uh, when... They pass by all the civilian sleeping pods, and that's, like, the hunting ground, supposedly. Right. Like, people are waking up and then immediately being mauled. That was a cool scene. That was a cool scene. And, I don't know, there was just, there was a lot of stuff, there was fragments of really cool stuff in here. But, like, they they try to build this whole mythology into it. Like, they end up in that weird silo with the guy who's like... Oh, the cannibal? Yeah. Who's like, oh, let me tell you the the story of everything. And he's got the... There's supposed to be like cave paintings. And and it's just like, what? And it ultimately had nothing to do with anything. Well, it filled in the characters on the backstory. I guess. He like, was just an exposition machine. But like... It's also like, how does he know this? Right. What? Yeah, he's not a thousand years old. But, um, uh, yeah. I also, about him, uh, the way he is completely crazy, he's 100% made up his mind to eat them because this is what he does. Uh, and then. It's he, just what he does. And then he he's like, oh, you need to go fix the ship? Okay, I'm going to immediately take your word on that. And it's going to change yeah. my whole perspective. And, like, there was no way he would have let them lose again motivation for no reason completely unearned Mm -hmm. whereas you could have made it really interesting and had those characters have to fight their way out of that situation you could have they they keep writing them into cool situations and then just having the sloppiest let's get out of this to go to the next set piece right it i don't know that 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 described that character describes kind of this whole movie he sort of epitomizes all the problems with this movie no motivation uh telling not showing not showing anything because it's way too fucking dark through this whole thing and uh potential that just is kind of unrealized this movie's not unwatchable but it's also like just not memorable and it's it's kind of sloppy. Yeah, and, and that's a sad thing, I think. I think this movie could have been really good. It is an independent movie. I'd love to see independent movies shine through. Um, but it, this one, I think, 
I think could have been a lot better. And it's making me realize I'm really dropping the ball on my Halloween picks this year. Frankenstein, this. It's, uh, I'm disappointing myself. Yeah. I I thought it was fine. I think it's fine. I don't, I'm not trying to shit talk this and say this is the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, it, it did do some things very well that we talked about, but I think ultimately, uh, this movie kind of let me down. Well, uh... Did you know that this movie has like a weird cult following? I'm kind of not surprised. I because I looked it up, and apparently, uh, they were meant to make a Pandorum two, uh, but actually, this was meant to be part of a trilogy, uh, with a prequel coming before this movie, uh, about them leaving Earth, uh, and a sequel of like them colonizing this new planet. Which, like, it sounds like they had a lot of ideas here, but it almost seems like too much. Like, they were focused on this bigger picture and, like, this story that was meant to launch it all. Like, they lost sight of it or something. Yeah, they really did. Or they tried to... uh, Sometimes you see, uh, like, an indie film that's made by a team that doesn't know if they're ever going to get to make another movie. Mm-hmm. So they try to put like, well, we got to put it all in this one. And it, it just becomes like overcrowded. It's a mess. You know what I mean? And yeah, I don't know. This this movie just felt like it was trying to do too much. It wasn't doing enough on any of them. And the things that it did well, uh, they really didn't do enough on. You know, like the horror movie aspect. Yeah, they didn't I, I, focus I think, enough I think it could have been so much more fleshed out and and it could have been so much more of the movie instead they're trying to juggle things they're trying to make it like sunshine remember sunshine is has a lot of moving parts to it Mm -hmm. uh and ultimately integrates a horror movie into all those parts almost seamlessly and it does this really well and i feel like this movie is trying to do that but they don't know how all the parts fit together so it, yeah. it just ends up everything running into each other. Really clunky. Uh, really clunky. Yeah. Um, overall, you could do worse than this movie, but I, I think you could do a lot better. I, I'd have a hard time kind of recommending anybody spend time. If you, you happen to cross this on a Saturday afternoon, this'll do, but like mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's basically passable. I yeah. feel like you yeah. know it's it's there. It's not terrible. But there's a it mo- wasn't... there's a reason this movie is is largely I think forgotten about. It just you know it's not because it's an independent movie. It's because I think this movie just didn't impress a lot of people. Cult following, sure, but like uh, you know, I Am Legend was on TV last week, and it's like people are still watching that movie. Yeah, you know, it's a TBS weekend movie, sure. Uh, and you can say what you want to about that. A lot of people are very dismissive. Of, oh, it's just some throwaway movie they throw on cable. It's like, yeah, but people still watch it. Like, it still plays on cable because people will watch this movie still. It's still entertaining people. Sure. This, I feel like, just, it doesn't live up to what it's trying to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Kind I mean, of feels like a first, like a first film. Like some of the, mm-hmm. some of the dialogue is a little silly doesn't make a lot of sense um 
and it uh, it feels a little bit forced. It, that said, I think the actors did as good as they can with it. I said Dennis Quaid wasn't doing great here. And I think what I meant is Dennis Quaid didn't have a lot to work with here. But he was still acting. I think really he was well. still acting when he when he's talking to his younger self. I think he's really good in th- those scenes mm-hmm. when he's just sort of like stand down and he's like he's really carrying himself. I believe Dennis Quaid is a like seasoned military guy when he's in those scenes. Like he's taking charge of the situation uh even though he's in over his head. I think Ben Foster is great and I think Ben Foster never really blew up into the not that his career is over. He's probably about my age. You know, he still has a lot of time to do some great stuff and I think he's done some great stuff. But I I think at this time if you would have asked me is Ben Foster going to be a huge movie star, I would have been like hell yeah he is cuz he was in a lot of stuff and people really liked what he was doing. And that's I I see that a lot. Like, there's people who like, yeah. Oh, you're in everything. You're you're right. about to be this big star, and then instead, Shia LaBeouf is in thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's this thing of like, why this guy, but Ben Foster, uh, you know, who should be in everything is just sort of like, I don't want to say passed over. He's in Hell or High Water, which I just rewatched earlier this year. It's still a damn good movie, and he's really great in it. 310 to Yuma. He's amazing in 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think he's a great actor. Um, and I just wish we saw more of him. I think he does really good in this movie for what he's given to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of times he's just by himself talking into a microphone. You know, or talking into a headset. But, you know, you buy it. But it's just sort of like, he doesn't have a lot to do, but he's committing to it, and he's making choices, and I, I, I dig that. I think Ben Foster's really great. Well, maybe if he joined the MCU, his career would go somewhere. He was not in an X-Men movie. Was he? He was. He was in X-Men 3. Uh, he is uh, Archangel. He's the... The kid who tries to cut his wings oh, off. no way. That's very young Ben Foster. Yes. Wow. Um, and I actually, like, that scene, like, stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. Um, yeah. Oh, he's still, uh, let's see. What's he got? Oh, he was in Hustle. I forgot. He's in that Adam Sandler movie. I'm not going to tell you that Adam Sandler movie is a work of genius. But Hustle is fun. It's a it's a fun Adam Sandler movie uh, where he plays like a basketball scout and he's trying to bring uh, this dude from Spain into the NBA and it's a it's a relationship comedy it's All a right. but it's good and and Ben Foster plays like the asshole owner of the team um, and uh, you know he's he's good at that but uh, yeah uh, let's see he was in the Warcraft movie. Oh, man. Hell or High Water. That's great. Um, Lone Survivor. Oh, he's in a bunch of stuff I didn't see. I guess maybe I'm to blame. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> that is funny. When he is in a, he's oh, in hey. a movie called Rampart, and I will recommend the movie Rampart, even though I've not seen it in a long time. It's with Woody Harrelson, and it is about the Rampart scandal of uh, corrupt cops in the Rampart uh, district of 
L.A. And Woody Harrelson plays like the king corrupt cop. And he is just, it is a brutal, uh, uh, it's a dramatization, but I think it's based on like real cops and, and the terrible shit they were doing there. Sounds interesting. But yeah. Um, I think I first noticed him in 310 to Yuma. Well, probably in X-Men, but I didn't really know who he was. Uh, 310 to Yuma is, uh. Still a great movie. Uh, Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. Have you I, seen that? I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember... I've not seen it in a while either, but... You, um, you and Lane really liked that movie, yeah. and it was one of those ones that like played a while. We kinda, yeah, we kind of had it on rotation for, for a while. Yeah, I, but, I remember, um, like... I don't remember the plot details, but I remember, like, cool chase scenes, cowboy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I liked cowboys as a kid. I was really into, like western stuff i was like that looks fun yeah you had uh 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 you were into horses and uh yeah and all of that i think that movie was around that time yeah Yeah. uh ben foster by the way uh just five years younger than me so plenty of time to uh you know have a great second act of his career not that he doesn't have a career not that he's not like critically lauded i'm just saying like i think if you asked a lot of people do you know who Ben Foster is? They'd be like, no. And then you'd show him a picture and point out a few movies he's in and they'd go, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that guy yeah. before. He, but he can have a comeback. But and... it's not like, you just would think that I would have thought at this time, like, he's going to be a household name like George Clooney. He's going to be that level, or Chris Pine that he was in. He's in a movie with Chris Pine, Hell or High Water. And it's like, people know Chris Pine, but they don't know, they play brothers. They're like in every scene together. Right. Um, but it's like, you know one, but not the other. They're in this great movie that, like, a lot of people saw. And it's just still, you have to kind of go, Ben Foster? No, 310 to Yuma, all this stuff. It's interesting who, who it, we remember. It, and it always really kind of blows my mind who becomes giant stars and who doesn't. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost never, like, the most talented people, I feel like, you know. Yeah, it's like, it really depends. Yeah, Chris Pratt's fine, but... You know, like, is he biggest movie star in the world? Fine. Eh, not really. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, even though this movie, oh my God, passengers parallels everywhere. There's a lot of uh, similarity. There is a lot of similarity, and that did also hit me as I watched this. Um, I'm like, oh wow, this is a lot like Passengers, only Just without much or darker. With monsters. You know, I wanted Passengers to take the darker turn. And this is kind of that. Can we splice and these two movies yeah, together? Yeah, there has to be a happy medium. But, um, yeah. Anyway. You got anything else on this I movie? don't. I don't. I wish I did. I wish this movie had more depth to talk about. But I, I kind of feel like I'm struggling to find enough substance to hang on to. Right. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. I just, you know... I've yeah. talked about as much of this movie as I can remember. That's fair. I think yeah. that should be like on the poster. <laughs> their tagline. Try to remember movie. this movie. <laughs> I think I watched this. The New York Times. Did you see this? Better rent it. Anyway. Uh, you want to move on to shout outs? Yeah. Or do you have final thoughts? Do you have any like. I, I do not. Any like mind blowing thing that you've been holding on to? Nope. All right. Let's move to shout outs then. 
right. Shall we? Yeah. What do you got to shout out? I got a uh, YouTube channel of an artist named Corey Kerr. That is C-O-R-Y K-E-R-R. And Corey is, he's an artist. He's an art teacher. Uh, he is part of a YouTube show called The Artcasters. And that is on a, there's three hosts and it rotates uh, between their three channels. Uh, that show is really good. But Corey is also doing a series uh, of YouTube videos where, you know, it's him drawing. And Corey's a great artist, by the way. I don't, I'm not trying to skate over that. But his YouTube content I am finding really interesting. He's doing these short videos just talking about kind of the value of unplugging from social media. And Corey still uses social media, but he's just kind of, I think, I think at the end of the day, he's sort of making a case that the tech companies that run these social media sites do not have your best interest in mind, that we are products for them. He's saying a lot of things that I agree with. Mm -hmm. um, he's saying them much smarter than I do that, you know, they're, they're, are trying to manipulate you. They are trying to control you. I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat as I say this, and Corey doesn't either. Uh, this is just the truth of what big tech is. Uh, users are a product. They are taking your information. They're selling it. And he's just talking about the value of kind of, you know, it's okay to, uh, what, I, what I take away from this is it's okay to use these platforms. It's not okay to live there. It's not okay to give them everything. You, don't, you can have an experience in your life that you don't put on social media. You can do these things that are just for you. Uh, his latest one is about just sort of the value of like unplugging and waking up parts of your mind that have, you know, kind of atrophied a little bit. Um, talking about things that, that I came to realize when I, I battled insomnia. I still do sometimes. For a number of reasons, I've kept weird hours and worked weird jobs for a lot of years, and that didn't help. But also, you do kind of come to realize, like, if you stop stimulating your brain, which is what all of these tech platforms do. Like, overstimulate. You are, we are all overstimulated. Mm -hmm. And you have to unplug, and you have to let your brain rest. And I just think, I think Corey articulates this stuff really well. And he also uh, doesn't just sit there and read a lot of his videos are him talking and it's playing over a video of him drawing. So you have something to look at and listen to it's they're not overly long. You know what I mean? Like they're mm -hmm. 10, 15 minutes. And, and I think Corey's a really smart guy and I think he is, uh, is putting a lot of good content out there that is just sort of, I think good advice. I don't, you know, he's not like, he's not trying to like uh, make Facebook illegal or anything. You know what I mean? It's yeah, nothing yeah. like crazy extreme. He's just kind of going like, uh, you know, step outside of this and 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 experience, um, experience life because you want to experience something, not because you think it'll be a great social media moment. These kinds of I, sort of bigger ideas that I think uh, we would all kind of do good to listen to. I, I, I think a lot of people kind of agree with that sentiment. Think, like yeah. more and more of us are waking up to my attention span is terrible because of right. 
these apps and what I mean we've allowed to happen to ourselves. Yeah. I, I think I'm a very anxious person and I think like a lot of my generation is and I I, I do think that has it's tied to social I media. think the rising in anxiety disorders is definitely tied to the fact that we live online now and we are constantly a lot of people say they don't read and what they mean is they don't read books. They read posts on social media all day. Mm-hmm. We're you're, consuming information. You're consuming information. You're not, we're not vetting information. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to the problems that it's causing with anxiety. But I think people are also starting to realize like, Oh, most of the information I get, I don't get it from a good source. And I think a lot of people are starting to, question the information they get you know seeing it a headline on twitter is not inform that's not a news source yeah like and and uh i'm embarrassed to say that like we've all done it 98 (laughs) percent of the information i've gained about the ukraine russian conflict was directly through tiktok (laughs) i i have not read a single article about it yeah but i and I don't know how true it, all that is. Well, you're not alone. In. And I, I think that is, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But uh, anyway, Corey, I think, makes some great cases for, um, you know, just some good practices for curbing your social media use. You know, mm-hmm. he had a, I'm not trying to give his content away, but he had a really good story about like the idea of, he gets home and he, um, dude, he gets home and he puts his phone away until his kids go to bed, because he wants to be able to give his full attention to his kids. You know what I mean? That's and really I, nice. I'm hearing a lot of things like that. I did see a social media post of a child psychologist who wrote down things that their their clients have said, and there are things like, "I wish my mom." cared about me as much as she cares about her phone and things like this that kids and you know it was one of those things where i go i wish people had told me things i wish i had read heard Corey say put your phone away until your kids go to bed i wish i had read posts like that before i was a father and i think i probably would have been a more attentive father when you guys were growing up it's one of those things where you just go you're right that is taking away from like what's important. I'm not going to go on a, a soapbox rant uh, and just verbatim recite Corey's mission statement here. But I think Corey's videos are really worth a look, partly for the art and partly because I think he's talking about some really great stuff. And uh, I think that's a great And Corey's message. a really, uh, he's a really good guy too. And uh, just, he's always been super friendly to me. Uh, he, he's really worth a look and, uh, and a listen to what he's saying. Yeah. That's awesome. Anyway, what do you got? Uh, oh, I, also that doesn't apply to this podcast. You should definitely keep downloading this podcast. And that's right. Out. That's right. Yeah. Please consume all of our content, of our but content. no one else's. <laughs> what do you got, Oz? Uh, I wanted to shout out. All right. So there is a band called the 1975. I've heard of them. Uh, a lot of people have, um, but one thing that I find super interesting about them is every single album that they put out 
and they've put out five or six now, uh, has a self-titled song. So they've written six songs titled the 1975. Uh, and the, the uh, kind of lead of the band, uh, I can't remember his name, but he has explained in an interview that he uh, basically... Uh, it's like the last song he writes for every album and it just kind of like explains where they're at musically. Okay. Uh, and so I found a playlist on Spotify that lays out all of the 1975 songs that are titled 1975. It's confusing, uh, but all of them are different songs and I really like hearing the difference between them. Uh, you kind of chart their evolution as a band a little bit. Yeah, some of them yeah. are a little more sad. Some of them are a little more pop song. Uh, they just put out an album called Being Funny in a Foreign Language. And that one is a little more... Uh, I think like Inside by Bo Burnham. Not like musically, but like the content of the lyrics is like a little more nihilistic. Okay. Kind of. And so this new 1975 song is a little more nihilistic. It's a darker. And, yeah. yeah, and I, I really like seeing the difference between as they evolve. It's kind of like their signature on each album. There's a, um, not to uh, promote Spotify, because I I do use Spotify, but I think there's they're not a super ethical uh, music platform. That's fair. Uh, but like, if you go to a band's page and they have like their top ten tracks, uh-huh. uh, this doesn't always happen because some bands have all their biggest songs come from like one era. But like, it is interesting when you go to a band's page and it's spread out through like a whole career, and you can kind of see the different the different eras of of that band where they were right like at different how their times, sound changes you know yeah. and i think i think they're that's what's great about bands that are around for a long time uh especially bands like that that aren't necessarily like the big oh they have these smash hits you know what i mean like yeah if you go see like the rolling stones you're just gonna hear like the top rolling it's it's a jukebox tour but like um like wilco i like wilco the band uh-huh. But I, I like early Wilco. You know what I mean? But there's definitely, they've changed so much. Um, and they're really cool. Like, you can watch a full two-hour Wilco concert on YouTube. Just go watch it. And you'll see this huge variety of music in that in that two hours. Because they're playing stuff from all different eras. And all of it's good. But I really like when they were more of like an alt-country band. So, like, their, their first uh, three or four albums. You know what I mean? That, for me, is, like, my favorite parts. But I can also listen to Wilco later on. But you can... The bands that are around for a long time, and you can see the cross-section of, like, where they are at certain times in their career. And you can kind of go, like, I don't like this stuff as much. Uh, the stuff when they were touring with Radiohead is okay. Uh, but I really like this era. Yeah. Or or different times in your life. Like, I like Springsteen. Um, like... I love Born in the USA. I love the the Born in the USA album. It's great. It's one of my favorites. But as I've got older, some of his other stuff like Tunnel of Love and Nebraska, like his sort of 
middle stuff that wasn't as commercially successful, but was also like much smarter and it, like, like grow more mature. And I, I really did grow to appreciate a different. And there's other bands that I'm kind of like that where I'm like, oh, actually, I, I've kind of grown into this, this era a little bit more now. And I think that's really cool. And I, I really, I think that's a great concept of like, yeah, we're going to do. Is it the same song or, or it's just titled the same? It's just titled the same. So I think it'd be really cool to like do the same song, but you do it in whatever style you're working. You like, I think that would be kind cool of, too. But either way, it's a really cool like cross section of like, here's where we are now. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the, the litmus test, this self-titled song, uh, for this album that's a really cool concept and and to have a playlist of that Mm -hmm. i think is really neat i'm gonna check that out i i think one of them doesn't have any lyrics and it's in one of their more like spiritual albums uh i i'm sure at one point they'll have a remix where it's like all of these songs kind of spliced together (laughs) i think that would be interesting do a big mashup of uh of all the 1975 songs yeah that's cool but uh, yeah, I think it's a cool way to kind of check out that band and see what album you might want to listen to. I um, I think I'm going to do that uh, not only because that sounds like a cool uh, playlist, but like I've heard the 1975, but I'm not very familiar with the 1975. And, yeah. and, and like you said, like that's a good way to find your entry point. So yeah, that's really cool. On that note... We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. That's right. And another way to help us grow the show is telling your friends about us. You know, wake them up from hypersleep. Uh, yep. And when they remember how to type in, you know, keyboards, make sure that they type in The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. Uh, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Or just scan the tattoo on their arm. Oh, yeah. That's... It, it should have our our link on there. Step one is, if you're a fan of our show, get a tattoo, get a tattoo. of the QR code that you have to scan <laughs> will... to get our, yes. our podcast. Ooh. Hmm. New marketing tactic. New marketing tactic. Oh, so you've got the wheel next week. Save us from my terrible Halloween picks. Well, I'm turning the wheel... Back in the direction of something we've already watched because we're going back to the Cloverfield universe and we're going to watch 10... The Cloverfield Paradox. That's right. The surprise Super Bowl hit. Uh... Surprise. It's terrible. (laughs) Uh, No, we're going to watch the better one. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yes. Yes, we are. I like this movie a lot. I love this movie. And, And this is the palate cleanser we need. It is. Back to basics. Back, back, to, back to truly John good. Goodman always saves us. That's right. That's what I say. Austin, now that I've uh, promoted somebody who shit talks to social media, why don't you share your social media links? Well, sure. If you want to destroy your brain a little bit, you can check me out on Twitter at Austin and Rude. And uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan, there's a new Doctor Who special coming up. Jodie Whittaker's Regenerating. It's very exciting. So check out my thoughts on that at The Who Review. Uh, Just type that into Twitter. You'll find me and enjoy.
All right. I'm at Phil Root on Twitter, at philroot 75 on Instagram, and ko-fi.com slash philroot. Austin, do you want to read the credits? I sure do. And it says right here on the placard, we did it all ourselves. There you have it. The placard does not lie. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya.